Really, I just want to share a few thoughts, three thoughts, three main thoughts off this passage. I was going to share a fourth one that Susie kind of touched on a bit there as she was reading through the passage. And the title of that fourth thought was going to be, don't let your butts get in the way of what God wants to do in your life. But I thought a few folks might not like that particular message. But um, yeah, it's true. Um, Susie and I have just been at New Wine, uh, a, a Christian conference, and one of the, the messages there was, don't let the butts uh, that we come out with stop God doing what he wants to do in your life. But that's not where we're going to be going this morning. Um, the book of Judges is a book uh, covering the period of Israel's history from the, roughly the death of Joshua through to the rise of the monarchy in Israel. And Gideon, who we're looking at this morning, was one of just several judges that God raised up to lead Israel during about a 300-year period in Israel's history. And uh, we've just, as it were, just read the introduction and into the beginning of the story of Gideon. He uh, appears in uh, the two or three chapters there in Judges. And the three things that I really want to pick up on from this passage this morning are one, the wonder of God's grace. Secondly, that God speaks to his people. And thirdly, the importance of having God's perspective. I don't know about you, but when you read through that passage or when you heard it this morning, for me, as I read through it, I was just amazed at the grace and the mercy of God. Uh, Lulu prayed that this morning in her prayer. Just the amazing grace of God towards the people of Israel. The passage starts off with the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It's not the first time. The very first word there is the word again. This is the fourth time just in the first six chapters that we read again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And we only need to look back into some of the earlier books in the Bible to see that this is a recurring theme for the Israelites. In verse 10, when God is speaking through a prophet, he says, you have not listened to me. And it's not the last time either in the book of Judges that God is saying the same thing to the Israelites. Disobedience, rebellion, apostasy, just keep recurring time and time again with the Israelites. Now, I read about them, and I'm sure you do as well, and I think, ah, if I was God, I would just give up on these people. I would just turn my back on them, walk away, and think, well, you deserve it. You've got it coming to you. Don't come running to me and expecting me to sort things out. But that's not our God. That's not the character of God. He doesn't reject them. He doesn't abandon them. Yes, he does give them over to the Midianites, but that's not to just punish them into oblivion. That's in hope that in their suffering and in their oppression, they'll have their eyes opened again and they'll turn back to him. All of God's work in the lives of the Israelites and in our lives as well is redemptive. Everything God is doing, whether it's good or in our eyes, bad, it's redemptive in God's eyes. 
And I'm just amazed at how gracious God is here. He does hear their cry when they cry out to him. And he does respond to their cry by sending first a prophet to speak to them. And then later, as we will read and and see, Gideon to be raised up and to bring deliverance. The wonder of God's grace. The second area that I, I felt was just coming out of this passage was that God speaks to his people. Uh, in verse 6, we read about the Israelites crying out to the Lord for help. And then in verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. God heard their cry and he responded by sending a prophet who spoke the word of God to Israel. I'm so grateful that we believe in a God who speaks to his people. Our God is not silent. He's not one who's out there completely oblivious to our cries, but he's one who hears our cries and one who answers our cries. And God, as I'm sure many of us know, God speaks to us in a whole variety of ways. Obviously, he speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through dreams and visions. He speaks to us through just the inner voice of the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. And as we see in this passage, God speaks to his people prophetically. And he doesn't just speak to us in a variety of ways, dreams, visions, prophetically. What he communicates to us is in a whole variety of ways as well. He speaks to us about coming back to him and repenting and drawing near to him. He he talks about wanting to lead us and guide us and direct us. He speaks words of comfort. He speaks words of encouragement into our lives. And as I look back over the 18 years we've been in China, some of the most amazing things I've seen God do have come out of God speaking first and just releasing something in God's people. Uh, If you've been around in this church for 15 years or more, you'll know that from the front we've shared about a guy who's on our team called Nathan, who one day was walking home from class in the middle of winter in China. God spoke to him about going back to a rubbish tip, searching through that rubbish tip because there was something precious there. And Nathan obeyed, went back, searched through a rubbish tip in the freezing temperatures of Xi'an and found a newborn baby wrapped in a duvet that was so cold and so close to death, the baby had given up crying. He saved that child and that child is still alive today, growing up with a foster family in China. God spoke and a miracle happened. And a life was saved. About seven or eight years ago, if you were in the fellowship, you know we came back and we shared how at that time we were fostering a little boy called Eddie, who we loved and really cared for. But we found out after 18 months of looking after him that he was going to be adopted to America. And the laws in China are such that we were not allowed to communicate to that family in America before his adoption. And we desperately wanted to make 
contact with them and just begin to build that bridge so that when he was adopted, it wasn't a sudden shock for him to be in this new family. And Susie was praying, asking God, God, how can we make contact with this family in America? And God put the words life link into Susie's mind. She went on to Google, found it was an adoption agency in America, and sent an email to them and said, do you have this child available for adoption in the U.S.? They emailed back within a couple of days and said, yes, we do. And we've just communicated with the family that are wanting to adopt him. And they're happy to talk to you and to Skype. And we had a wonderful couple of months talking to them on Skype before the adoption took place. God spoke and that bridge was made with the U.S. for that adoption. This year, we were in a meeting back in April, and God was speaking prophetically in our meeting. I think we might have sung that song that we sung this morning. I asked the guys if we could sing that song, The God Who Moves Mountains. And there's a couple in our church called Joy and Dave who've been with us for years, and both of them had a word that morning. God is going to be moving mountains in our fellowship. And Susie and I have been looking after John for four years. He's been in our family. We've known him literally from the day he came into the orphanage with his umbilical cord still attached, having been abandoned on the streets. And for four years, we've been trying to get a passport, a Chinese passport for him to come with us to Britain. Every time we go to the orphanage, every time we go to the civil affairs and the police, they all say, no, 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 cannot be done. And that's right. In one sense, our province has never issued a passport to a Chinese child from the orphanage in foster care with foreigners. It's never been done in our province. It has been done in other provinces. And so our prayer was that God would move a mountain in our province. And this prophetic word just gave us fresh encouragement to go back to the authorities and say, can we please have this passport? This was April. If you had spoken to me in the March and said, do you think John will be able to come back with you next year for our sabbatical break? I would have said that would be a phenomenal miracle. If you'd said to me, John will be coming home with you this summer. I'd have been calling men in white coats. No kidding. It was, it was impossible. But in April, we put in our application and the authorities gave us favor. And within a month, we had John's passport in our hands. If I'm honest, the biggest challenge was getting the UK authorities to let him come here. (laughs) We had to provide a pile of paper that big to just let him have a visitor's visa. But God moved a mountain that had never been moved in our province this spring. And I'm convinced more and more that God is speaking to us very often, if not almost all the time. (laughs) And the problem, as it were, is on our side. Um, I've been really challenged these last two or three years to make time to wait on God to listen to his voice. And I'll let you into a little secret. As I've waited and listened for God's voice, he's spoken to me. 
And um, I've probably had a sense of God speaking to me more in the last two or three years than I have done in the last 10 years in China. But the key was waiting on him, listening and seeking to discern his voice. Can I encourage you? If you're wanting to hear God, wait on him and seek his face. That's how we often get to hear what he's saying to us. Not always. I don't know if that was the case with Gideon in this story. It seems as if God came and just said, Gideon, here I am and I'm talking to you. Uh, He wasn't necessarily particularly seeking God's face to do something or to say something. Thirdly, the importance of having God's perspective. I think this kind of comes out in several places in the passage. God, having spoken to the Israelites through the prophet, then in his grace begins to work deliverance and salvation for his people, Israel. Now, this story is so much like so much of the Bible, where time and time again, God chooses and calls men and women who you and I wouldn't even give an interview for, let alone choose them for the job. Gideon, in his own words there, is saying, I'm the weakest, I'm the smallest, I'm the most insignificant. And I'm sure a lot of his friends, his other members of his family, members of the society and the community would have probably said the same about him. The weak, the insignificant, the small. That's our God. Our God chooses those people. Our God calls those people. And that wasn't just an Old Testament principle that God had. You turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and just a couple of verses there, verse 27, says this, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And then he explains why. So that no one may boast before him. All the glory goes to God, not to man. And I think, you know, the sooner we recognize that we're nothing, we are weak, we are small, we are frail, and recognize that in everything we need God God's wisdom, God's presence, God's power. Then God can say, I can use you. I can do things through you. But it's not just God's perspective on who he chooses that is different from the way the world tends to choose and call people. It's also, in this story, God's perspective on who Gideon is. Gideon sees himself as small, as insignificant, as weak. But in verse 12, we get an insight to God's perspective on Gideon. Two simple little words. Mighty warrior. Now, I don't know about you. I wouldn't have called Gideon a mighty warrior at this stage in the proceedings. But God's perspective was 
you're a mighty warrior for me. Now, that wasn't Gideon, a mighty warrior. That was Gideon with God's presence and God's spirit in him being a mighty warrior. It would be God with him, working through him, fighting the Midianites that would make him a mighty warrior. And I think so often we look at ourselves or we look at others through our own perspective or through the world's eyes, the perspective of this world. And I think God is wanting us more and more to look at ourselves and to look at others in the church particularly, but in the world, through God's perspective. And I just want to finish with a a wonderful story of just how a a, a wonderful Christian couple, Chinese Christian couple, that we've known now for almost the whole 18 years we've been in China, have got hold of that. That they've got hold of God's perspective. And for me and for Susie, we see them as mighty warriors for God in our city of Xi'an. And if, Simon, you could pull up those last few pictures, just for the first one. Uh, If you've been around for a number of years, you might remember those faces of the two adults there. That's James on the right and his wife, Anne. They were our students 17, 18 years ago when we first went to China. And we did a, a, a Bible study with them in the early days there, and they came to faith. Since then, they've um, grown in that faith. They've obviously joined a church there in Xi'an, a Chinese church. And they're, they're in leadership now in that church. James is one of the elders. And really, particularly, I just particularly want to focus in on James this morning. James is, in the eyes of the Chinese, very much a smallest and a weakest. Not least because, and if you could put up the next slide, please... This is China for the uneducated. Can you just see that yellow uh, pin up in the far left-hand corner of China? Can you see that yellow pin? Literally, right? Yeah, thank you. Just a bit further up, a bit further up. That's it there. See that yellow pin? That's James's town. It used to take him three days just to get to Xi'an, uh, which is fairly central, as you know. His town is in the middle of nowhere, and they're just the forgotten peoples, really, out there of China. But God called him to study in Xi'an, even before James knew God. And, um, yeah, in the eyes of the Chinese, he would be a nobody. He didn't come from Beijing, didn't come from Shanghai, Guangzhou, the big cities. He came from a backwater that was probably more of a backwater than Nazareth. Um, but God has used this couple in amazing ways. And if you could just go on to the next slide there, please. Um, James and Anne, as you saw in the first picture, have already got a daughter. Uh, Bing Bing is her Chinese name, Crystal. And as many of you know, China's got a one-child policy, uh, which is fairly strictly enforced, particularly in big cities. But last summer, James and Anne became aware that Anne was pregnant with a second child. Many families in Britain would simply go straight in and have an abortion 
simply because it's the second child and the authorities don't approve, but also there are huge financial costs with having a second unauthorized child. Um, Education is more expensive. Medical care is much more expensive. Lots of issues. James and Anne's perspective has been changed by God. They saw this pregnancy as the hand of God and the blessing of God on their marriage. And so they continued on with the pregnancy. At four months, they were having a regular scan. And the doctors, to cut a long story short, basically said, this baby is severely disabled, particularly her heart. She has only got two chambers in the heart that should have four. It's very likely that she won't even survive the pregnancy. If she does, then it's very likely just the whole process of giving birth will cause the heart to give up and for her to die. If she is born, then she'll need oxygen just to keep her whole system functioning. And she'll have a really tough time of it in her early days. James and Anne heard all this, and if I'm honest, they really struggled. They really struggled. But God had been at work in their lives so much that they held on to him, even in the midst of this bad news. And they chose to keep continuing on with this pregnancy. Every group out there was saying to them, have an abortion. The hospital was saying, have an abortion. They were actually saying to her, to Anne, you can have abortion up until the very point that they were wheeling her in to give birth nine months later. Her, Anne's family, who are not Christians, were exerting huge pressure on them to have an abortion. And if you know the Chinese culture, to, to go against family is almost like throwing mud in their face. Uh, But they stood firm and said, no, we believe this child is a gift from God. And um, it was such a privilege to walk through this pregnancy with James and Anne. And just to see how God was working in this couple. And James would put onto Facebook how he was feeling emotionally and what he was going through with God in it all. And I have to say, it was all in English. I wouldn't have been able to read it if it was in Chinese. It was all in English, and he has written some of the most amazing words I've ever read in my life about what God was doing in and through them at this time and how God was coming and meeting them and saving them and helping them in so many different situations. Um, I I trust one day they'll actually put it into a book so that um, many more can just read what God was doing in their lives. But praise God... Nine months into the pregnancy, Anne was able to go into that hospital. Susie stayed there with her for two or three days. One reason, simply to be, the doctors wouldn't do a bit of mischief on Anne with a foreigner around. Uh, It would probably cause international um, embarrassment for them. Um, But yeah, Anne actually gave birth normally and naturally to this little baby there called Chunyu, and we thought she would be in hospital with ICU units and tubes and everything. Within 24 hours, the baby was out of hospital, at home, with the family. 
the hospital said that you'll need this huge great bag of oxygen to keep her going. They used it once in those early weeks. And James and Anne were able to enjoy having Chun Yu at home with them for seven weeks. And um, that was a miracle, a huge miracle. That song, God is able to move mountains, he is mighty to save. I, can, I could stand here for half an hour just saying one miracle after another miracle after another miracle through that pregnancy and birth where God showed himself to be mighty to save. Chun Yu's name is taken, it's a Chinese name, obviously. Uh, it means on the wings of the dawn, uh, Psalm 139. It was one of the passages of scripture that spoke very powerfully to James and Anne. Seven weeks into her life, James was holding Chun Yu all through the night. They had to literally be with her 24 hours a day. And at 5 a.m. in the morning, he was writing his blog there on Facebook, just saying how much of a struggle he was finding it, caring for this child, the burden that he brought on his whole family because there's no free medical health care in China. This baby was going to cost them tens of thousands of pounds and they didn't have it. And in his blog, he wrote this one line, Jesus, I wish you would come back now. And we could be with you. And within an hour, Chun Yu was dead. And um, these last few months, we've just been walking through um, just bereavement with James and Anne. And uh, just the amazing way in which God has been Comforting them and caring for them through these last few months has been a wonderful thing to be a part of as well. And um, this couple have, on many occasions with the hospital authorities, been a witness saying, this child is not just a fetus that's disabled in the womb that should be aborted. This child is a precious gift from God. And we're going to do everything in our power with God's help to give her life, a hope, and a future. And they did that. They stood up time and time and time again to forces that were so against them in so many ways. And um, as I was looking through this passage on Gideon about mighty warriors, <laughs> to look at this guy, he's not tall. He's a wiry little whippet of a guy. But in my eyes, he's a mighty warrior just in the way in which he, viv- I was going to say vivaciously, that's the wrong word, kind of tenaciously, that's the word I was after. I'm an English teacher, I don't know the big words. That's why I teach the first years, not the fourth years. <laughs> tenaciously held on to this child's life with everything that God gave him because of the value that he saw in the unborn child. Gideon, the beginning of this story, I see a God who is full of grace towards a disobedient and rebellious people. I see a God who's willing to speak even to people who've turned their back on him. 
and just speak words to bring them back and to redeem them. I see a God whose perspective on who we are is being so different from that of the world's. That's the God we worship this morning. Amen.